Judges chapter 14 today. And verse number 12 is the story of Samson. Judges 14 and verse 12. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. And if you can certainly declare it to me within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. But if you cannot declare it unto me, then you shall give me 30 sheets and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, well, then put forth your riddle. Let us hear it. Give us the riddle. And he said unto them, and here's the riddle. If you hadn't read this chapter, you wouldn't know it either. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Now, this is the King James language, Old English, so the, the poetic vernacular would, would certainly be substantial in this. If you wanted it to be a poetic riddle, it would be very easy. Out of the eater came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweet. What is the riddle? And for three days, they tried to figure out what was going on. He gave them seven days. I'm going to preach to you today what I believe I've heard from the Lord. I actually wrestled with preaching this last weekend, and the Lord changed my heart just as service began. But I'm going to preach to you this morning how enemies solve riddles. How enemies solve riddles. You may be seated in Jesus' name. God, we need your help today. We need your strength. We need your wisdom. We need understanding exceeding much. Even as the sand that's on the seashore, Lord. I'm asking that your word would find good soil today. That it would take deep root. And that we, God, would give you return on that which you have invested in us. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we pray. And let the church say amen. Somebody shout it loud. Shout amen. amen. Praise God. Have you come today for a move of God? I haven't come today to just fill a pulpit and fill some time. I believe I've come today with a word from the Lord that can help somebody along the way. So this is going to be a little bit different than normally you hear Samson preached. Whenever you think of Samson in the scripture, there is an automatic association. It's like when people say David, they'll say Goliath. If people say Adam, people say Eve. When people say Samson, they say Delilah. And we preach the story of Samson and Delilah. Here's what you need to know is that Delilah was not Samson's first love. It was a, a, a progressional falling that led him to the place that he would ultimately lay his head in the lap of Delilah. And I've preached it. I wish, I wish somebody could figure out a, a way how many times I've preached it and give me $5 per time that I've preached it over the last 25, 26 years. It's good preaching. It's something that's a great story to preach. It's a great uh, 
youth conference sermon. It's a great uh, youth service sermon, telling young people, don't, don't mess with the world, don't fool with the world, don't give the world your secrets, don't do it. It's powerful. It's a great, great sermon. But the whole story is really not about Samson and Delilah. That is the end result of a life that continually conformed time after time after time. When warning after warning has been given, yet it's like every person comes to this stage in life. For most people, it happens around 17. Where you know more than everybody else. I wish at my age, and I'm still very, very young, and I'm hanging on to that for all I got. Somebody the other day, they said, how old are you? I said, how old do I look? They said, about 28. I said, 28. <laughs> I love them. I'm thankful for those people. I need those people in my life. But I wish I knew today at my age what I thought I knew at 17. Wouldn't that be awesome? Boy, we'd all be rich, wouldn't we? <laughs> it's crazy. So I got a hunger to know more about Samson. And I want to tell you really the true story about Samson, although the Delilah thing's powerful, the Philistines being on him, him throwing it off, ripping down gates of cities, all that's powerful. But the power of this story, I believe, is found in the 13th chapter and the 25th verse. The scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. The Spirit of the Lord began to move on him at times. I have seen in my lifetime around the church people who were affected by a, let's just call it, a move of the Spirit. When the Spirit moves on them, they respond. I have seen with my eyes, it's kind of like the vernacular of, of the church world, you know. We had a move of God. We had a move of the Holy Ghost. And the Scripture said that the Spirit of the Lord moved on Samson. What does that mean? It means the same thing to Samson that it means to you and I. That there were times in Samson's life that he would feel the Spirit of God come upon him. He would feel the glory of God surround him. He would feel goosebumps up and down his spine. He would feel that manifestation in the earthly realm of a heavenly glory. It's the same thing that you and I feel, yet we, just as Samson, all times waste those experiences that we feel when the Spirit of the Lord moves upon us. I tell you today that the Spirit of the Lord does not move on us so that we can take delight in the fact that He has moved on us. The Spirit of the Lord moves on us to draw us to a place where He's not just moving on me at times, but rather it's something that I get so addicted to that I cannot live without it. The problem with Samson is that he never got addicted to a move of God. He never got addicted to a move of the Holy Ghost. It never got a hold of him so good that he could 
not live without it. The spirit of the Lord moving on us is not so that we can say, oh, I go to an alive church. It does us no good, and this is going to be strong language, so just stay with me. It does us no good to go to a church that's alive but live like we're dead. We can brag about a church being alive, but understand me when I tell you that the church, the ecclesia, the earthly government of God is made up by men and women who are addicted to a move of the Spirit of God. And having good church does not mean that a church is alive. Sometimes having good church means that you know how to play the right note at the right beat at the right time and move the emotions of people. But this has got to get above and beyond emotionalism. It's got to go beyond the exhilaration of a moment. We've got to get out of this rut. This says, Lord, if we don't have foot stomping, hand clapping church, then we didn't have church. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not satisfied with the Spirit of God moving on me at times. I want to find the spout where the glory of God is coming out and I want to dwell there. We don't need good church that gives us chill bumps and we forget about it by the time we're at work on Monday morning. We need a move of God that's going to get a hold of our spirits that when we wake up Monday morning it's the first thing on our mind and when we go to bed Monday night it's the last thing on our mind and you can't get away from it and you can't get away from your prayer closet and you can't get away from his presence. Something within us that says I crave it. I've got to have it. I've got to have a move of God I preached to you a couple weeks ago and began to deal with the idea of people that learn to function without God it's like uh, I believe it was last Sunday morning perhaps that I preached and talked about this that in the age that we're living right now there are people and the Lord confirmed it again with me last night that there are people that are absolutely okay with the direction that the American church is going right now. They're okay with the fact that doors of churches are not open. Listen, there are people today that don't mind to send their tithe and their offering on the internet, but they don't want to be in the house of God. And I want to tell you why. Because if you get the opportunity to worship in your jammies every Sunday morning and it don't cost you nothing, you'll stay home in them jammies. I can't tell you how many days I wanted to sit at home in my warm pajamas in the winter and just say, oh, forget it. I don't want to work today. I don't want to do anything today. But the real life story is you got to get up and you go to work and you go about life and you do things that you don't want to do. That's the truth. But how many times in your life have you got up on a Sunday morning and you just felt that drag like you didn't feel Monday through Saturday. But on Sunday morning you were tired, you were wore out, and you got up and said, man, I'm not sure if it's worth it. I don't know if I want to go today. I'm not real sure. And all of a sudden there's just something that gets on you. They say, well, maybe I better get up and go to the house of God. And when you walk through the doors, all of a sudden the reality starts unfolding before you. God's got something bigger for me than I could I'm trying to stay together this morning I feel like telling somebody there's an answer on the way because you got up and said I can't live without a move of God
How long do you have to live? without God until it just becomes normal. How long do you live without a move of the Holy Ghost before it comes normal? I don't say this today to be ugly whatsoever, but I've preached in churches that are asking uh, outside preachers to come in and perform a resurrection in their church. I'm telling you, I don't mean it ugly. Please understand my heart. I'm grateful for every opportunity I have to stand in any pulpit in the world and preach the truth. But some folks, when they say, we want you to come preach a revival, what they mean is, we want you to come do a resurrection. I stripped my gears, preached till my voice was gone, sweat through my suits till it looked like somebody sprayed me down with a water pistol while I was preaching. Only to find out that people didn't want a move of God. They wanted to feel good for a week. We've got to change the subculture that we've created. Well, man, while it's going good, let's bring in an evangelist. Let's have a revival. You know what? The church has been revived time after time after time after time. We don't need a revival as much as we need a revolution. We need to turn this thing over and say, God, I'm not satisfied. Two thousand and twenty took Holy Ghost shots in the arm away from us. I'd never dreamed it would happen, but folks stayed saved without camp meeting. I don't even know how it happened. Like I don't know how we're gonna have any missionaries or preachers or anything because we didn't have a youth conference for kids to make commitments. You watch them, those kids at conference, man. Be thousands of other people thinking the same way that you're thinking. So it's easy to stand there, raise your hand, and say, "Oh God, I'll go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do and live how you want me to live. I'll do anything you want." Why? Because everybody's feeling that way. You know what that is? That's the spirit of the Lord moving on you at times. There's got to be a transitional period in our lives. Where it's not like the Holy Ghost is interrupting our lives. To do what the Holy Ghost wants to do. It's like God, I don't know why you keep interrupting. Look, some folks are going to look at you and say, why in the world do you feel like it's necessary to go Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Thursday. Why do you think all that's necessary? You don't understand what I'm telling you today. I cannot live without it. Well, I just think you guys are missing the point. I think you've let that take your life over. Oh. No, please. Whatever you do, don't let the Holy Ghost take over your life. We can't, we can't have you falling out of love with this present world. No, no, no. Please don't do that. Could you imagine what would happen if the same thing would get on us that got on Jesus' disciples when he looked at them and said, If any man come after me, let him deny himself 
Let him take up his cross and let him follow after me. Could you imagine if with reckless abandon we left our love for this present world behind and said, Lord, you've moved on me at times, but I don't just want you moving on me at times. I want to connect with the Spirit of God. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to war in the Spirit. I don't need another conference. I don't need another camp meeting. I need a sovereign move of God. Man, I feel it so powerful in here on this Sunday morning. What are you you talking about, Pastor? Listen, I'm going to tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something that gets on you that's so powerful, you can't help but live out loud. I'm talking about lunch meetings that turn into prayer meetings. I'm talking about phone conversations. I was on the other night with another pastor on FaceTime. We were talking late. Had just been on there talking about some things. We got talking about a move of God and the Holy Ghost. The the things that God's been doing in the church. And the Holy Ghost got to move. And I sat in the living room of my house on FaceTime talking in other tongues. Tears falling down our face. Hey, I'm telling you right now that a move of God is never an inference upon us. It is never an intrusion upon us. I'm saying, God, whatever you got to do to get us ready for a move of God get us ready y'all got your seatbelts on this morning I'm going to preach to you right now I was raised in an age where people used to be really really brave and they would say things like I don't know if y'all ready for this or not should I say it They'd say things like, Lord, whatever it takes, save my babies. Whatever it takes, save my husband. Now we got soft. We're like, oh, Lord, bless them till they get happy and come. You know why some of y'all are here today? And I'm not just saying this for me. I'm talking about the nature of the prayer. Some of y'all are here today because people still pray things like, God, you make their bed a bed of rocks until they get up out of that bed and make their way to the house of God. Somebody's here today because somebody got to pray and said, Lord, make them miserable. Make them dream about having moves of God. Make them dream about revival. Make whoa, God, make them dream about the spirit being poured out. Make them dream about the fire of the Holy Ghost consuming their soul. I hope today there's some prodigals watching. And I want you to know we're praying for you. But we're not praying that you find peace. Oh, no, no. We're praying that peace evades you. We're praying that you get miserable. We're praying that you need an altar in your life more than you need acceptance in your life. I'm going to play with some words right here to understand the context of what I'm saying. I made up my mind a long time ago. I don't really want a move of God. I want to stay of God. I don't want him just coming in and moving on me. I want him coming in and staying. 
I told somebody yesterday, I said, if you walk through the doors of the First Pentecostal Church and the hair don't stand up on the back of your neck, that's our fault. I said, you ought to be able to walk in the doors of that church and feel the power of prayer. I said, you ought to be able to walk in that church and feel like those walls have been soaked and saturated with prayer. I'm telling you right now, I'm not satisfied with a move of God at times. I want a sovereign move of God. But if you let yourself live long enough without it, you'll get used to it not being there. And there will become a new way of order for you. And that new way of order will become your new normal. And you're going to have a form of godliness and have no See, y'all said that. I didn't say that. So nobody can get mad at me when folks are living powerless. How many times have I preached in this pulpit? It's not enough to love truth. You've got to despise iniquity. You can't just love truth. You have to despise iniquity. You can't just love a move of God. You have to despise not having one. needs to be a revival that sweeps our hearts that personal obligation rests on our shoulders this says I don't care if nobody else in this church worships <laughs> there's got to be something get on us that said look they used to call us holy rollers for a reason so if nobody else is going to dance and shout If nobody else is going to talk in tongues and shout hallelujah. We need some folks going to work on Monday morning with sore calves. Because you've been dancing. Your throat needs to be scratchy because you've been shouting. Somebody needs to go to church on Sunday with your dancing shoes on. And say, I didn't just come to see or be seen. I didn't just come for fellowship. I came for revival. I came for a move of God. You can imagine things however you want to. But the other day I was standing in a place looking at thousands and thousands of people. And the only thing I could think of was, I can't wait till I preach to this many people. You don't think it's going to happen before Jesus comes? You, you listen to what this preacher's telling you. I don't care what people are saying right now about eschatology. I don't care what they're saying about the end time. Now, you know I believe Jesus could come before we leave here today. But I'm telling you, if the Lord withholds his coming, I'm going to tell you what this man believes. And I'll believe till the rapture or till I die. I believe that the greatest moves of God we have ever seen are not behind us. I believe that they are in front of us. I believe there's going to come a day that we're going to have to abandon our regular sanctuaries and we're going to have to find places where we can do business here through the week. But on weekends and services, we're going to have to be finding different places. I'm going to go ahead and speak it. That when we don't have time to build buildings, God's going to have to give us theaters. God's going to have to give us gymnasiums. We're going to fill this city with the word of God.
You never know who's listening. I walked in the other day to a business, been some time several months ago. I walked into a place of business, and the owner of business, the, the owner of the business, he said, Hey, are you still believing God's going to give your church the whole block? I looked at him funny. He said, You know, I heard you preach one time. You said you believe God could give you the apartments and all that stuff for, for different kinds of things, like for different ministries and all that. He said, You still believe in that? I said, I believe it. God had to use, use somebody that didn't even attend this church to remind me that God's got bigger plans than we've ever dreamed or imagined. Some of us are trying to measure it by a checkbook, and the Holy Ghost is saying, you can't bankrupt heaven. Maybe y'all are missing what I'm telling you right now. I am longing for the day that divorce attorneys have to go somewhere else besides Anderson to have a business. I want cancer doctors having to work at other hospitals because there's a church that believes... I'm looking for it to get so bad that people give up on their bins and just say, forget it, I'm buying a 15-passenger van. For what? Maybe you all think the Lord's just got people driving to this church from all over the place because they want to come to church. What he's doing is establishing government. And you're going to be a light to people that are around you. And you're going to start running out of room in your little old car. So you're going to have to step up to a Suburban. And then a Suburban ain't going to be enough. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to get a van. I appreciate all four of you that believe that. I heard it all my life. People praying for backsliders saying, God, give them a revelation of hell. I'm not 100% sure it's the backslider that needs that revelation. Sometimes I think it's the church that needs that revelation. There was a man by the name of Charlie Pride, Charlie Peace. Charlie Peace was in England. He was on death row. They sent the chaplain in. It was his last day to live. And the chaplain walked in and said, I just want to say a little prayer. And he said his little prayer. And he, the warden asked, said, Charlie, you got anything else you want to say? He said, yeah, I do have something I want to say. He looked at the preacher and he said, if I believed what you say you believe. He said, I'd crawl on my knees all the way across England on glass if need be to save one soul. Whatever you do, Lord, let's have revival, but don't inconvenience me. Some of us talk about buying a $1,500 plane ticket to go somewhere overseas and won't even walk across the street. You can be seated. The Spirit of the Lord moved on him at times.
Spirit of the Lord moved on him at times. We're like, yeah, someday we're going to have a full-time Hispanic ministry, and you hadn't greeted one Hispanic family in this town. Bishop used to say, as a hush comes across the crowd. Mm. I wonder if my witness is as powerful midweek as it is on Sunday. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying everybody can testify when we're together. What's your testimony say when you walk past somebody that's despitefully used you? My God, my God, my God. What about those people that hated you? Because this ain't no Pentecostal rhetoric. It's the words of the Messiah. He said, love them that hate you. Do good to them that have despitefully. You know what we need? We need the spirit to move on us then. I've had to answer the phone calls of people in the middle of the night who would have swore on their last dollar that I didn't care. But you got to love people. And you've got to love God. And you've got to get to the place in your life that you're not satisfied with the subculture that Christianity has created for us. That we are Sunday dwellers. That are not moved at any other time. Because I know you don't believe me when I tell you that this is applicable to where we are right now. But if you look at this story right here, it is 13 and 25 of Judges that leads to the end of the 14th chapter where you've got a man who has lost his anointing and he's lost his vision and he's grinding at a mill and he has no direction. It's people who are satisfied with a move of God at times that end up walking around in circles and you've got no anointing left and you can't see where you're going and you end up, yeah, it's another miracle. Yes, the pillars came down, but you end up dying with what tried to kill you. So how does it happen? 14th chapter opens up, believe it or not, with the answer. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. This is not Delilah. This is a woman that Samson met when God was using him to defy the enemies of the Lord. And Samson marries himself. I'm fixing to help somebody in this house. If I, I don't know why the Lord saved this message until this Sunday. But he did it because you're here. I can tell you that. So Samson marries himself to this woman. He goes home, talks to his mother and father. You can read it for yourself. He goes and sits down has that awkward conversation. Mom and dad, I'm about to break my vow. I'm getting ready to marry myself to somebody that doesn't believe what we believe. 
But I'm going to connect myself to her because her beauty astounds me. And they asked her the question. They said, really? I mean, can you not find somebody that believes in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Can you not connect yourself to that? He said, oh, but you don't understand. It's that moment I was talking about, about 17 for most folks. He was a little older than that. But it's like, you don't understand what love is. Mom and dad, you, I mean, you really don't. You, you are old people, and you have never felt love like I feel right now. You old fogies. You just don't get it, how people could be so in love. It's like, oh. You know what? I've seen love make people plum silly. I started to use a word that... Some of the other people in my family have used from the pulpit, but I can tell you this. I won't tell you exactly who he is, but he's related to my mom. He's a sibling to my mom. She... He said, dude, they just act plumb stupid. These kids just fall head over heels and they just get stupid. They just act like you have never been in love like this. And we're standing over here going, uh-uh, please, hey, who, hey, stop, hey, we've been there before, chill. Now, I'm going to set the record straight. I had never been there because ain't nobody loved me like mama. Cha-ching. Maybe she'll buy me lunch today. But there's something that happens. When we get out of rhythm with the will of God. Samson, you didn't take your Nazarite vow to love. You took your Nazarite vow to God. And so the scripture said that he got permission of the Philistines. Why not? Listen, I wish so bad you could see the 60,000 foot view of this, Samson. Why wouldn't they give you permission to marry one of their girls? You're their biggest threat. Y'all following what I'm saying? Is this Gerber style right here where we can get it dodged? Is this, are we breaking it down right here? Oh, we'd love to have you. Oh, pastor, you won't believe how accepting their family has been to me. Duh. Samson is the greatest threat to the Philistines. Why wouldn't they want him joining their team? So they said, oh, here's an idea. Let's have a feast. Now, I don't have time to preach all this, and I'm going to sound mean probably to some young people right here, maybe to some soft parents. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you the problem I got with this. Is that if they were so against what Samson was doing, I'm wondering why his parents were at the feast. Brother Gray, you may have to escort me out of here today and help me now. You got my back? Just get, get a couple guys. I don't know. You look pretty intimidating today. I think you got. That is not the will of God for your life, Samson. But to keep you happy, 
and to keep you around and to keep peace in our family. We're going to pay the bill for the feast. You listen to what I'm telling you, church family. If we start paying the bill for the feast of our children, it won't be too long till the bill comes due. And when they set it on the table, the tip is going to be worth more than you ever dreamed. I'm telling you right now, I don't know what happened during this COVID epidemic, but there was something in the water because this church is muchly pregnant right now. I want to tell all of you precious families that are expecting to have children and those that God has blessed to have children, don't you start getting soft and don't make up your mind the kind of parent you're going to be when you hold that baby. Make up your mind right now. There's some things in this house that just are not going to happen. Man, pastor's on the tear this morning. I'm tired of the devil lying to people. I think y'all know I love you enough I'd lay my life down and give my life for you. That's why I'm standing up here today while I'm alive and well. And I'm telling you, there are some things that are worth fighting for. And our children is one of those things. It's one of the greatest things we'll ever fight for. Do you understand that the next missionaries, evangelists, do you understand that the apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, they're coming up in the church. And our kids have got to know we're not satisfied with a move of God at times. So I'm, I'm hurrying. Everybody doing okay? Lord, it's late. I can finish later. If you want me to finish later. So here's what we find. Sambo's feeling flex, flex a little bit because he got his way and it's all good. The Spirit of the Lord came on him now. Everybody talks about the miracles that God did in his life. I want, I want you all to understand the only miracles that God did recorded in his life. As the miracles are being recorded, you start to understand these were not times that God moved on him for anointing. The very miracle that moves him into this right here is that he reaches into a, a carcass of a dead lion that he had slain a few days before that. Because he was in a vineyard that he wasn't supposed to be in because of a vow. Not to drink wine. So God delivers him out of the vineyard he wasn't supposed to be out in. So he goes back to the vineyard that God delivered him out of. Finds the same lion and a vow said not to touch dead things. So he reaches in the dead thing and he grabs honey out of the dead thing that he's not supposed to touch. And calls it a miracle from God. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? I wonder how many things we've called miracles that have really just been mercy. He reaches in and he tastes the sweet of it. He said, hmm, I ain't never had sweet like that. And mercy lets him walk on. And he goes to the marriage feast that's being put together. He gets a little bold because that's the way it happens when God's been real good to you. And you don't really realize how far his mercy has reached for you. And he looks at the Philistines because now he's about to say something he wouldn't have said to them a couple weeks ago. But now it's like they got a weird connection that he never dreamed they'd have. You can see this current underlying and flowing through the story. Now he's starting to feel more comfortable the way that he talks to the Philistines. Why? Because he's joining himself to them. 
He starts having conversations that he wouldn't have had with them before. And he says, I got a riddle for you, Jack. They say, ooh. Got a riddle for us. It's a good thing you're marrying that girl. We kill you. know, that's what they're thinking. Oh, so you got a riddle for us, huh? He said, yeah, matter of fact, I got a riddle. And if he, look, he sets the parameters. He says, if you can't figure it out, then you owe me 30 garments. He said, but... If you figure it out in seven days, I'll get you 30 garments. You know what that meant? That meant he was going to have to destroy 30 Philistines and bring their garments back to them. Talking about bold. They said, ooh, okay. What's your riddle? Because the wisdom of the world always wants you to think they're more wise than they are. So we got this. All right. What's the riddle? He said, okay. Out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweet said, mm, how about that three days in they're still confounded they still don't know the riddle so the Philistine leaders here comes the answer they come to what Samson has married himself to oh but we love each other You've never known love like this. And they come to that woman and said, hey, if you don't find out the answer to that riddle, we're going to burn your father's house and we're going to burn everything he's got down. And so she turns on the soupy cry and she comes to the love of her life and she said, baby, if you love me, you'd tell me your riddle. You'd tell me the answer. He said, Why? In the world, does the riddle have anything to do with me loving you? She said, oh, because if you love me, you won't withhold anything from me. And all of a sudden, the price tag starts becoming evident. She never wanted your love. She wanted the secret to your success that nobody else understands. Delilah was not the first woman that pursued his success. It was the thing that he married himself to when his parents said, don't do it. And the church said, that's not a good idea. When they said, just fall in love with doctrine and don't date any other doctrines. Don't expose your kids to other things. It was the thing he married himself to. She got to his heart and she said, but if you love me, you tell me how do enemies solve riddles the enemy connects itself to where you have invested your treasure and starts talking to that treasure and saying you tell him if he loves you that I will have an answer by tonight on the seventh day on the seventh day listen to this this is devastating to me on the seventh day the very last moment go read it for yourself the last day he said you got seven days to figure it out and on the seventh day he gave up the answer do you realize that he was a, a few hours away from enduring to the end When the clock struck midnight on the seventh day, the gamble was over. 
What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying the closer we get to the midnight hour, the greater the pressure is going to be on what is the power of Pentecost. What is the power of the church? What is it that's gave you Pentecostal so much power? What is it that's given your worship so much power? The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, there's going to be a great pressure in perilous times that's pushing against us, saying, tell us the riddle. What is it about your power? And if we're not careful, we're going to let the spirit of the age itself to us and we're going to fall in love and connect ourselves to spirits that we never dreamed that we would you listen to what I'm telling you right now that our universities are filled with philosophies of men and the Lord spoke to us in Colossians and he said don't be deceived by vain philosophies of men he said but connect yourself to the root and know that in Christ all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him bodily and if you want to be complete you're complete in Christ I found out just the other day that in one of the local school districts in this area that our teachers have been pressured now to hang pride flags in their classrooms to let kids know this is a safe place for you to come out if you want to. Listen what I'm telling you right now. We can point our fingers at school systems all we want to, but until the church is willing to take a stand and let our voice be heard, we don't have a right to point our fingers at anybody. I'm telling you that the enemy wants to know the riddle. He wants to know the power of your treasure. He wants to know what, what it's all about. And all he's got to do is just get us to capitulate a little bit. Just get us to vacillate just a little bit and say, oh, I know you love me. I know you got plans for me. And the enemy will solve the riddle by where we buried our treasure. There's conversations that come and say, if you'll just stop preaching this, this, and this, you won't be able to build buildings fast enough. But my answer is, I didn't take my vow to church growth. I took my vow to God. And what the enemy needs to know is that it's this and this and this that have given us the power that we have. I'm telling you folks, listen to me today. That there will be no revival in a spirit of compromise. The crazy thing about history is that history repeats itself. And we continue to look at it and say, well, it won't be that way for me. It may have happened to Samson, but it won't be that way for me. You listen to what I'm telling you today. I am pleading with this church that we have treasure that's in vessels. We have a power and authority. I'm not saying this to sound arrogant today. But when you've been filled with the spirit and you've been called by the name and you've been washed in the blood. You've got rights to things that nobody else in the world has rights to in the kingdom. You've got rights to glorious things. And the enemy wants to solve the riddle. Why are you so in love with this truth? But Jesus gave us the answer. I'm hurrying to a close today. I've been preaching a long time. He said, where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. What are you saying, Pastor? 
Jesus said there shall be no division between the heart and the treasure. Where you find one, you find the other. And the way the enemy solves riddles is when we disconnect ourselves from the vows that we have made to God. We connect ourselves to systems of this world. I've heard it all my life. All my life. Do you guys really think it's necessary to do all that? It's necessary for me. Bro, you guys just need to be a little more open-minded. Until you get so open-minded, your brains fall out. Then you can't think. I feel a heaviness that's moved in here in the last three minutes. God's reaching for somebody on this Sunday morning. That's in the process of marrying yourself to things. Believe it or not. All they want to know is the answer to the riddle. never thought about this in my life. This week I saw a quote from Leonard Ravenhill. He's a British preacher. He said there were no altar calls in the New Testament. Never thought about that. That's something that we've come up with to make people feel comfortable to come. But Brother Stephen, I believe when the Holy Ghost starts dealing with us, we don't have to wait for somebody to say, okay, These altars are open. Let's all come together. I believe that when the Spirit of the Lord gets to moving on your heart, you got to get bold and brave in your spirit. Say, God, I'm not going to wait for somebody to call me. You've already called me this morning. The Holy Ghost is moving up and down the aisles of this church right now. Somebody, you hear me as I, as I speak to you with a prophetic anointing on me right now. There's somebody here today in the valley of decision. You're about to make some decisions that are going to wreck the rest of your life. And you're going to end up further away than you ever dreamed you'd be. And you're going to pay a bigger price than you ever dreamed that you'd pay. All for the sake of being cute. All for the sake of just fitting in and doing something. But you hear me. Once the riddle is solved, it won't be too very long until the secret to your power is exposed. Because that woman, the scripture said, that woman that he married himself to... Once the Philistines were finished with her getting the answer from her, they killed her. So he laid his head in the lap of another woman. It's the endless cycle. And that woman didn't just want the riddle. She wanted to know his vow. Mm. God have mercy. You cannot fully embrace the kingdom of God without abandoning personal ideas. You'll never be able to fully embrace the call of God without abandoning personal preference. It's impossible. I'm reaching for somebody. I'm telling you, for all I'm worth today, I'm reaching. I've been feeling God just speak to me, draw me. Over the last several days, I couldn't get this out of my spirit. 
There's somebody on the precipice today of allowing the enemy to solve the riddle. And if you see the story of Samson, what it means is you're going to end up fighting battles that you never had to fight. And God may or may not give you victories in that battle that you would have never got because you were willing to lay your head in the lap of something that you were never intended to be connected to. Holy Ghost move in this room right now. What's the answer, Pastor St. Clair? What do I do? What do I do? You cannot settle today to be satisfied with the Spirit of the Lord moving on you at times. you got to draw yourself out of this spiritual lethargy of saying, Okay, Lord, I'm here on Sunday. Just do what you're going to do. you got to find yourself in the presence of God every day. Come on, don't miss this moment right now. Don't miss this moment right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in here. I want you to begin to answer some questions in your heart. If you said, Pastor, I prayed for God to lead me. But I want to know what does that look like in your world? What does it look like for God to lead you? Has God been trying to lead you? But in turn, we've been trying to lead God. You've got to ponder these things in your heart today. We can pray, Lord, lead us. And then walk out of that prayer closet and lead God. Some of you may have thought you just came here today because it was Sunday and that's the thing to do. I believe you're here because God led you here today. I believe you're here today because God wanted you to hear what He had in store for you in this house. Oh God, I feel that pressing in my spirit. I can't get it off of me right now. I'm giving you my very best. Be remember Calvary's cross. Be willing to say. And if my sacrifice is less, my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best. Help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. Hallelujah. I believe the Holy Ghost has spoken in this house today to hearts and lives. What it really comes down to, it, for me, this is kind of where I, I'm living right now. Is that as the Spirit of God starts drawing me and leading me, I have one of two choices. And that's to either give in to that voice and be led by the Spirit of God. Or to just simply act like He never spoke anything at all and keep walking my way. This has been a strong word this morning, a heavy word, and I understand that. But God has sent me here and the Spirit of the Lord has been seeking people out today. The enemy wants to solve the riddle of your life. But only you have access to those answers today. 
If you're willing to submit your will to God today, would you just slip that hand up in the air and say, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Shh.